0: Greetings from Twelve Stone Church. This is the third message in the series entitled, Pray Like Jesus. Please enjoy this teaching by Pastor Kevin Myers. All right, prayer. All earthly things with earth will fade away. But prayer grasps eternity. It always startles me that the disciples never said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to preach. They heard the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest man that ever lived, the Sermon on the Mount, and yet not one of them ever said, Lord, teach me to preach. They never said, Lord, teach us to do miracles. They did say, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, I'll tell you. If there's any prayer that needs to be prayed in the Church of God today, as far as I'm concerned, it is, Lord, teach us to pray. Prayer is not a position or a need... Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. So welcome to 12 Stone across the campuses and online. So good to have you with us today. But church, first things first. And the first thing is... We're celebrating in our family because this past week, Marsha and I became grandparents for the second time. Julie's our daughter, gave birth. Here's a picture of him. Myers Anthony Weigel, nine pounds, 10 ounces. Big boy, which means I did not contribute, obviously, but there he is with Papa. Beautiful boy, so excited, so happy. He's doing great. And, and I, I, you gotta see this, because I'm, I'm a grandpa, so I gotta show stuff off, right? So you gotta see this little video. Here's a picture of him getting his first bath. Check this out, and look at the hair. I mean, she has to comb the shampoo through his hair. Such a sweet little boy. We're so excited. Thanks for celebrating with us. Now, let's move on. Let's get to the teaching. Because God has some amazing stuff that's going to help us today when it comes to prayer. And why that's so vital to our lives. How awakening that really is. Because if we knew what Jesus knew, we'd pray like Jesus prayed. If we knew what Jesus knew, we'd what? Pray like Jesus prayed. So often we think too little of prayer to give it big time. But Jesus... Jesus, just the opposite. Prayer was so big to him, he wouldn't give it just little time. It was prioritized. In fact, he knew the most about heaven. He's from heaven, comes to earth. And prayer was a habit of his life. What does he know? And maybe if we knew what he knew, we'd pray like he prays. So grab your Bibles, we're going to turn back over to Matthew chapter 6, where we've been. Bibles are right underneath your chair, if you just reach down, or maybe you have to get up a little bit to pull that Bible out, we're on page 970 in Worship Center Bible, across the campus as you picked up your Bible, perhaps on the way in, if you're on a mobile device, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start reading verse 9, the disciples asked, Jesus teaches how to pray, his response was to teach him what is often called the Lord's Prayer. So page 970, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, we read, then this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Week one, we talked about our Father. Then last week, we unpacked. Sean did his will, his way. We're going to pick up with verse 11, 12, and 13 today. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There are things that Jesus knew, and there's a clue. If you have your teaching notes, right off the top, there's a thought I want you to to grab hold of, and and the clue for this thought is Jesus teaching, give us today our daily bread, and here it is. There's a filling that leads to empty, and there's an empty that needs filling. There is a filling that leads to what, everybody? Empty. There's a filling that leads to empty, and there's an empty that needs filling. This thought is coming from the opening of this prayer in verse 13, The segment about give us today our daily bread. In other words, that Jesus is telling us something about his assumptions in this prayer, that you would pray daily, that this would happen repeatedly, that this would be continually, that this would be a cycle, that this stuff would occur in your life. You would be in daily dialogue with God. In other words, he knew something, Like, there is a filling that leads to empty, and an empty that needs filling. Here's what I mean. This happens when it comes to food. There is a filling you eat, but over a period of time, having eaten, eventually you get hungry again. You get empty. Now imagine somebody saying to you, you know what, I, I, I don't eat anymore. You're, you're like, what? You don't eat anymore? Yeah, I've given up on it. Why? It doesn't work. Well, what do you mean it doesn't work? Well, here's the thing. I eat, I get full, but it won't stay full, so it doesn't work. <laughs> because eventually I'm empty. And you would laugh at the person. you say, oh because that just means you don't understand the process. See, actually it was designed for there to be a filling that leads to empty. And then there's an empty that needs filling. That's <laughs> I mean, like, this is what eating is. You just don't understand it. The, the same thing is true when it comes to our cars. Right? You just, you know, you pour into your gas tank. Right? And you drive for a while. Miles, days, however long it takes you. But you do it long enough and eventually what happens? The tank goes to what? empty. By the way, I want to figure out who we are, so I'll test this across campuses. I want to know you're one of two groups, and I'll give you a moment, but I'll, first let me set up the group. You're either the group that it gets half on, half empty, right? Half full. You're halfway, and you go right to the gas station, and you fill it up. There's a group of you that are like that. Then there's a group of you who are like, man, I am not filling that thing till I'm on fumes. All right, I want to know who we have. How many of our, of you are, when it's half full, you fill it up. I mean, you get to the gas station. You don't want to be caught without gas. All right. Curious. How many of you are the, you take it to fumes? I mean, you take it off. <laughs> Look at that. I am in that group. Maybe that's the church we are. I don't know. But, but that makes sense. It's like, why not use the whole thing before you fill it up? I get, but, 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 but if somebody says, you know what? I don't drive cars anymore. Why not? They don't work. <laughs> what, what do you mean they don't work? Oh, I, I filled it and it just won't stay full. <laughs> Well, that, that's because you don't understand the system. By the way, that happens in our relationships. In relationships, we pour in, like you say, oh, I pour into my spouse. I pour into my kids' emotions. I pour, I pour into my friends and, and coworkers and in small group. But you know what I notice? After a while, well, that relationship just gets kind of empty and they want it again. So I don't do relationships anymore. <laughs> you don't? know they don't work because they won't stay full. You feel, well, you don't understand relationships. It's kind of like bank accounts. They, they have deposits and withdrawals. It's a cycle. Now, listen. Same thing with our faith. See, we come in like on a weekend, and we worship, and, and, and we pour out to God and worship. We sing, and God pours into us, and we pray. We hear teaching, we keep pouring out to God and God keeps pouring into us. It's a beautiful thing. But then, (laughs) then comes Monday. And Monday, Tuesday, maybe you've noticed this. You don't feel quite as full as you did. In fact, sometimes it just kind of gets a little bit weak and you feel mostly empty. People say, well, you know what, I quit on worship and prayer, I don't do that anymore. You don't know, it doesn't work. What do you mean it doesn't work? it doesn't work. You know, I prayed the other day, felt filled, and then it wouldn't stay, it wouldn't last. Well, that just means you don't understand. See, what if, what if our spiritual lives are more like eating, gas tanks, and relationships? What if it's designed to be a cycle, a system, a process? What if you're supposed to keep pouring out prayers so that God keeps pouring in? And the reason you don't stay full is because you don't keep pouring out prayers. See, what if Jesus knew something we don't know? What if he knew there was a filling that leads to empty and an empty that needs filling? What if this whole thing was a process? And you're like, are you telling me that, that, that feeling like you hit spiritual empty is normal? Yes. You mean this idea that I'm supposed to be a reservoir and God poured all that I was ever gonna get all in me at one time, that's unrealistic? Yes. Well, then that would change the way I think about my faith and pray. Good. It's supposed to. It's a process. It's a constant. It's a continuous. It's a daily. It's a pouring out to God and God pours into you. And there are many seasons, times in the process where where you feel like you move toward empty. Normal. You're like, well, I feel empty sometimes spiritually. Then you're normal. I don't know if that's good news, but you're normal. (laughs) And Jesus taught us Pray daily for your daily bread. Pray over the things of your relationship. Forgiveness from God and forgiving others. Pray for spiritual protection. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. The most practical areas of life, in in, in the material realm, in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual war you're in, make it an ongoing pouring out to God. Because what the Lord's Prayer really is, is a declaration of dependence. In fact, I put a statement, we'll put it on the screen, but it's there in your notes. Our Father in heaven, this is what you're saying. I, we depend on you to fight for me, us, in the most practical areas of life. I depend on you to fight for me in the most practical areas of life. I, God, what, I, what, what, what this prayer has taught me is that I'm, first, I'm going to depend on you. So write it down. It's a declaration of what? Dependence. I'm declaring. Jesus is teaching us prayer is a declaration to God I depend on you. You're the source. I don't have a handle on all this. I can't make all this happen in my life. I'm not God. Not supposed to be. Not going to try to be. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek you. You're God. Not only that, but in my dependent prayer, I'm acknowledging that you are the one who fights for me. I not only depend on you, but I know you fight for me. I love the way Joshua 23 states it. Joshua's talking to the nation of Israel, and he says to them, one of you routs a thousand because the Lord fights for you. What he means is this, you as an army against your enemies, when the enemies come after you, one of you can take out and rout a thousand of your enemy. How's that possible? Because God fights for you. See, one of you might be able to take out 5, 10, 20, if you're really good, 50, 100, I don't know. But no way you can ride 1,000. But when God fights for you, God multiplies the impact, the influence, and the result. When you pray, you pour out to God, and God pours into you, and it's a constant process. Which means when you neglect prayer, you find yourself often in a more spiritually empty place. But Jesus says, you don't have to do that. Pray in the most practical areas of life. So let's talk about them. For the time we have, let's unpack these thoughts kind of one at a time. First, give us this day our daily bread. This is, I just put food and finances there because he's really talking about it. In other words, here, don't make it any more complicated than it is. Make a normal part of your day to ask God, please provide for me. This is a normal part of your day. Listen, just every day, just throughout the day, just normal part, you're working, God provide for me. God, make this business deal happen. God, help me in this. Here's some of my financial pressure. Here's the stuff I'm navigating. Here's my, here's my world. In fact, the father of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, in his catechism was describing this teaching of Jesus as a pattern for prayer, specifically what does he mean when he says, give me this day my daily bread. And, and uh, his description is very helpful to us. Here's what he wrote. Everything necessary for the preservation of life is what Jesus meant by bread. Meaning, including food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, spouse, children, good government, and peace. I mean, this, that, that's what he's talking about. The most basic things in a material world, talk to God about it all the time. Pour out your prayers to him. He'll fight for you. You depend on him in this. In fact, God already knows you have need of it. Listen, God's not anti-material world. He created it. He's the author of it. It's not weird to God. You should be be, be praying about the things that matter to you because they matter to God because God created you in this world. He already knows. In fact, if I could get us all to just read... Matthew chapter six, the whole rest of the chapter. I wish like tonight, you would just say, before I go to bed, okay? When I go to bed at night, I'm gonna leave the light on for an extra few minutes and I'm gonna read. In fact, tell your neighbor right now, read Matthew six tonight. Just tell your neighbor so they've heard it. Read, just lean over to somebody, read Matthew six tonight. Right now, write it down or, or, or give yourself a note as a memo tonight, read Matthew six. Cause in the rest of this, you'll see Jesus talking about our material world needs. He's talking about the reality that God already knows you have need of this. He created you in this world. He gets it. And you have all kinds of pressure and stress and anxiety and worry. But see, you do life different than everybody else because you have a Father in heaven. And once you know this and you connect with him through Jesus, you are freed up like nobody else. So it matters how you seek. It matters how you navigate this. Go read it. It practically teaches you the power of this. In fact, Jesus preceded this teaching in Matthew 6 by saying... Listen, your father already knows you have need of this stuff. And the obvious question then is, if he knows, I have need. And he knows what I'm going to ask. Why do I have to ask? I mean, haven't you ever wondered this? Okay, he knows all things. And he already said, I already know what you're going to ask. Well, then why am I asking? Just do it. <laughs> I love the response of John Calvin. Listen to this. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm just going to read it for you. And if you have to close your eyes to absorb all this and just kind of concentrate, I want you to hear this is a powerful statement. Well said. I think it's biblically accurate. Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him or of exciting God to do his duty or of urging God as though he were reluctant on the contrary. They pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek God, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on God's promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into God's bosom. In other words, in a word, they, they want to declare that from Him alone, they hope and expect, both for themselves and others, all good things. In other words, prayer is not for God. God doesn't look up there. Oh, I wish they would pray. Why aren't they praying? I mean, God's self-sufficient. He's sovereign. He doesn't need you to pray. You pray for you. It wakes you up. It engages you. It's you pouring out to him in prayer and frees him to pour out to you. Otherwise, you know what's at risk? You start thinking you're the source. Listen, listen. You start thinking you're the what? Source. You start thinking, well, you know what? I think I do all this anyway. I mean, I do all the hard work. Why, why? I make it happen. Look at my success. Look what I'm doing. I'm the one doing all the work. Moses was concerned about this in Deuteronomy. Look what he said to the nation of Israel. You may say to yourself, My power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You see that? See, all of this world and all of your capacity and life itself and all the, that, that's all God. You depend on him. He makes that happen. It's not all you on your own. But, but, but you, you, you pull from praying and you, you will experience an emptiness spiritually that begins to make you think, well, I guess it is all on me. You should think of this prayer for I want to take it to the bottom shelf. This is the please and thank you segment of the prayer. This is please and thank you. Say it with me. This is what? Please and thank you. I'll illustrate with my granddaughter. Breeland is 22 months. She came to the hospital to visit her new cousin, Myers. When she got there, she saw the teddy bear that I bought for Myers. And, of course, she had to have the teddy bear. And I realized I'd made a mistake. I bought Myers a teddy bear, and now she's playing with it. And you know, while she's feeding him and pampering him and taking care of him and having a little conversation with the teddy bear, you, you know I'm not taking the teddy bear away from her. This is now her teddy bear. I'm not going to have her leave, Now put the teddy bear back. We're not doing that. So I said, why don't you go with Papa? Let's take the long half a mile walk to the gift shop and let's buy another another teddy bear for Myers because this is now your teddy bear. So we took a delightful walk all the way and she talked, she's quite a talker, very adorable, very cute, we we got there and once again, I made another mistake. It didn't occur to me when I went in there that she would see all the other stuffed animals. (laughs) So she looks at the other stuffed animals, oh, doggy, can I have doggy please? Yes, you can. (laughs) Oh, kitty. Can I have kitty, please? Yes, you can. You can have anything you want. See, it is your daddy that must discipline you. It is papa that indulges you. Daddy has to say no, papa says yes. Someday I'm gonna say to her as she continues to grow up, I do not know why your daddy is so mean and why he says no all the time, but papa says yes. She decided she didn't want the kitty. She just wanted the doggy. She got the doggy. She got the teddy bear, and off we go walking back. It's she's adorable. She takes the little doggy and she waves the paw to me. Fun. I wave back with the teddy bear, and I look like a total idiot. And it's awesome. And then when it was time for her to leave, I, I walked her to the elevator. Apparently, my son took a picture because here's the picture he sent me. And there she is looking back. She's got her little doggy in her hand. So sweet. But before she got on the elevator, my son, once again, by the way, Joshua and Christina, they are great parents because they've decided that Breland can't receive anything or enjoy anything without a please and thank you. Otherwise, she'll think she's the source of all this because please and thank you form relationships, bond, connection, and clarity in life and you want something, it's with a please. And when you receive something, it's a thank you. And so when we got to the elevator, he got down with her and he said, now did you tell Papa thank you for the doggie, for the teddy bear? Thank you, Papa, for the doggie. He said, you're welcome, sweetheart. And off she goes. See, my son understands that how she handles please and thank you is formative to her life, defining to her future connecting for her relationship and that is me before my heavenly father I have to be a please and thank you man before God in fact look at the picture again here's what I understand I am the little kid in that picture with God I am the little one I'm the one holding his hand I'm the one with please and thank you And I pray daily, God, provide. Because it's over my head. And every time he does, including every meal, there's a thank you. Every good thing comes from him. I'm not the ultimate provider. Listen, if we were just to be blunt, I don't have it all together and neither do you. If you've ever heard me talk about these subjects, I'll confess, I know I'm supposed to lead like a man, but I pray like a boy. I know I'm that little one holding God's hand. I pray like a boy because I know that I don't have control over the economy and the world and how economics work nor funding, nor providing in my family. I have all kinds of stress and anxiety and worry issues in my life. If it's all on me, I need God to provide. And I have challenges in relationship and family and finance and situations, and circumstances and health and everything beyond me. I can't make it all happen. And I have issues to navigate in relationship where there's rifts and needs to be forgiveness and I need forgiveness from him and Satan tempts and and and, and Satan sn- snares, and there's whole things beyond me. And I pray my way up the mountain to success and I pray my way through the valleys of, uh, 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 of struggle and it seems like I have as much or more struggle than I do success in life and I don't have a handle on this. I'm often in the same place you are where I'm saying, God, I don't know how this is gonna work out and I'm working like crazy to make it all work but it, it can't be all on me because I can't make it all happen because it's over my head. You pretend it's not over your head, but we know you're just faking it. And you ain't faking it till you're making it. You're just faking it. Because ain't nobody making it. Nobody's good enough. Nobody's big enough. Nobody's far enough. Nobody's got a handle on all this. Nobody does. I don't care how good it is in your life. And I don't care what size your problem. You may be managing $100 problems, $1,000 problems, $10,000 problems, $100,000 business issues, or multi-millions. It's irrelevant. It's all over your head. You're somewhere in that arena. And real men and real women really pray because they're honest about life. My Father in heaven, give me this day my daily bread because it's over my head. And I'm in an ongoing dialogue of pouring out prayers to God who pours into me. Please and thank you. How you doing with please and thank you? It's revolutionizing to prayer. And it's basic and core. The next. So Jesus takes us into this relationship and rifts, I call it. It's forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, in the Greek, the core language, debts mean referring to sin. It's, it's the moral, uh, willful sin against God. And, and it of course, our greatest problem is not for food and provision. It, it, it's sin and forgiveness. And, and God being so great, so kind, and so merciful through Jesus, dying on the cross, you don't know that story. It's the best story in all of, all of humanity, all of history, that he will forgive you and he makes it possible through Jesus. Jesus paid your debt. So you'd be debt-free before God. Oh, my goodness. What is, e- what is equal to that? That's amazing. I'm forgiven. All my spiritual debt and sin before God wiped out. Are you kidding me? that's awesome. As I forgive others. Do you ever read that part and get a little annoyed? Like, don't you wish he just said, and forgive us our debts and just moved on? But he didn't. As we forgive our debtors, God, forgive me of my sin against you. So, I'm in this ongoing dialogue of God forgive me all throughout any given day. Whenever I sin and God's correcting me, it's just a normal process of prayer. But then, as I forgive others, I am far more comfortable with God forgiving me than me forgiving everybody else. I want God to release me from the consequences and the cost and the reality of my sin. I want Him to hold everybody else to theirs when they sin against me. I, And I know you don't struggle with this. So I'll just talk like you all are beyond it. Okay? Maybe it'll make sense. Because God challenged me on this when I was in college. And here's what I'm convinced of. If you have difficulty forgiving other people, and by the way, just right now, hands up. For no other reason, I just want you, put everybody put their hands up. Just for a moment. Just everybody put their hands up for me. Just, Just go with me. Just put your hand up. Okay, right? These are all the people who have difficulty forgiving others. Okay, now that we know that. Now now that we're clear, now that we know who we're talking about, when you have difficulty forgiving somebody else, if you want to know how to help you forgive others, spend more time thinking about your sin and what it costs God to forgive you. Dwell more on what it costs to forgive you, and you will get progressively freed up to forgive others. We tend to be soft on ourselves and hard on others. We tend to dwell more on what other people did to us and less on what we've done to God. Flip it. It'll help you. God challenged me on this in my college years. Two stories, same guy. Guy's name is Rick, friend of mine in college. Now, first story, Rick had a Vega. If you were old school and you know anything about Vegas, Vegas used more oil than gas. Not really a great car. And so that car was always breaking down. I had a Yamaha 175 motorcycle enduro, just a cheap little 10-year-old bike in college. He didn't even have a license on it, no insurance, and I'd ride around the, 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 the campus there, and that's it. I didn't have a car, I didn't have anything else. We were poor, uh, so be life. And, and one day, he his car broke, and he couldn't get to work. He's like, he comes to my room, and Kevin, I need to borrow your, your your motorcycle. I said, what do you mean you need to borrow? He said, yeah, I need to go across down to work. I said, I, I, I don't take that thing out on the road. You can't, it's not insured. It's, and besides that, it's the only thing I own in the world. No... Uh no, uh you'll wreck it, you'll ruin it, they'll impound it, or I'll never get f- No, no, oh man, you're my friend, you're my right. oh I'm begging you okay, you know that's right. And she's oh, listen, man, I, I don't trust you. I mean, I trust you, you want to be trusted, but I know you, you won't do any like if you wreck it, it's wrecked for life. He says, No, I promise if I do anything to it, please. I'm gonna lose my job. I would be able to school. I said, hi, oh, you're such a jerk. You promise, you promise. I mean, don't. Screw, I'm not going to screw up your bike, but if I do, I'll fix it. You promise it'll get fixed. Yes. Why would I be telling you the story if this went well, right? <laughs> so, jerk that he is, a car stops fast in front of him. He can't shut it down. He drops the bike. Screws up my tank. Scratches up my bike. <laughs> it's my bike. He brings it back. I'm like, you jerk. Man, I'll take care of it. Do you think he ever took care of it? Of course not. What would be the story if he did? <laughs> now, how many of you have ever had somebody hurt you, sin against you, lie, cheat, steal, break a promise in any way, hands up? Has anybody ever sinned against you in any way? Of course they have. Second story. Rick, with his Vega pulls alongside me later on, and I'm in another friend's car, a little cutlass, and, and, and he revs the engine. Which means we're, we're going to do a little drag race. You have to. You have no choice. Real, real men say yes. I mean, you can, I can't do the mature thing and say no. That would be irresponsible. So, so, so the answer is yes. And these are a piece of junk cars anyway. So we're, we're not going to do much. But for the next two blocks, we just floor it. And unfortunately, we pass a church and it's Wednesday night. And they're laying out children's ministry. Yes, there were kids on the sidewalk. It might have been irresponsible. But unfortunately, there was an officer in the parking lot. And he came flying out of the parking lot. And now I'm praying. Because we hit the next street and Rick went left and I went right. And, and I prayed, dear God, let the officer go left and follow Rick. I'm a good friend. Rick's already sinned against me. Rick deserves this, right? I mean, how many of you, the officer went right. How many... God, you didn't answer my prayer. How many of you have been frustrated God didn't answer your prayer? I'm like, come on, God, answer my prayers here. No, the officer pulls me over, and I'm the only one. And he, he's, he's like, oh, he said, you are in so much trouble. He said, um, I'm having somebody come pick up your car right now, and you'll be in the back of my car, and you will spend the night in jail. You are arrested. That was reckless endangerment, blah, 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 blah. And by, by then, there's no bravado. There's no cool. There's nothing left. I'm just shaking. And he's back in his car, writing it up and calling it. I'm just, oh, God, you got to rescue me. Rescue me, God. Rescue me. Help me give us stay our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those and and another car pulls behind the officer's car and then I hear this heated argument and swearing back there and the officer jumps in his car a police car and he peels off and then this figure walks to my car and leans down I'm like who is this I realize it's the detective he says hello Kevin it was a detective. It was a friend of mine. I helped him with a case in the city like three months before. And he said, I heard your name on the radio. And that was really, really stupid. Consider yourself forgiven and freed up. Never, ever do this again. Goodbye. And he went back to his car. I didn't even start the car. I just sat there. I pulled up the window and I bawled like a baby. Oh, my God. I will never do that again until the next time. I promise. And I didn't. I kept my word. I never did it again until the next time. So, so there, you, there you go, just now, and, and then it's some time later, and here's what God's saying to me. You know it's interesting, Kevin, you want me to forgive you for that stupid, but you won't forgive Rick. What is that? See, because if you've been really, truly authentically forgiven by God, the evidence that you understand what he did for you is that you will extend that to others because you will become like your father in heaven who forgives how are you doing with forgiving a couple weeks ago i got pretty honest talking about my estranged relationship with my father all things eventually broke down when the family broke down, and from age 17 on, I've never asked my father for anything, ever. We have no relationship. He knows none of his grandchildren. After that, a 20-something young married, just had a second kid. said, how do you deal with that? I have similar situations with my own father. I mean, how, how do you get through or over that? do you ever really forgive? I said, oh yeah. I said, God God walked me right through it. Let me give it to you. In fact, I'll give it to all of you the way I gave it to him. Simple to the point. The first word is bitterness. Say it with me. What's the first word? Bitterness. The second word is forgiveness. Say it with me. Second word is what? Forgiveness. Third word is sadness. Say it with me. Third word is what? I said, God gave me three words. Bitterness, forgiveness, sadness. The first one is bitterness. Bitterness will destroy me. Bitterness is resentment and anger and hatred. It's the thing that gets inside you and undoes you. And forgiveness is supposed to resolve bitterness. I need to forgive my father. And I have. And I did. I worked through that in my 20s. As God made it clear that if I don't release my father and forgive him, God isn't free to forgive me because I've never understood the requirement of the forgiveness of God. The depth of God's forgiveness will change me from the inside out in such a way that I will forgive and release others. And whenever that bitterness would creep up, God would just tap back in and said, remember forgiveness resolves bitterness. Stay with me. But the other word is sadness. And forgiveness does not remove sadness. I said, so there will always be and there always has been a little angst, a sorrow, a weight in my soul over what got lost, what should have been, the beauty of what should be family and relationship and father-son and what could have been cool if he would know his grandchildren and all the joys that we had in life that he could be a part of. Don't confuse bitterness and sadness. Forgiveness will resolve bitterness. It doesn't resolve sadness. Fine, let God help you carry your sadness, but use the power of God to release somebody else in forgiveness. How are you doing forgiving others? It's a big deal. This is a big prayer. Third, temptation and traps. Traps. And by the way, when Jesus said, "Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one, temptation doesn't mean temptation to sin. It literally is the Greek word for test or trial. So it means, Lord, don't let me come, come into trials and testings that are so great that the weight of it causes me to fall into Satan's traps and snares and fall into sin where I ultimately destroy my life. So that's why it says, don't don't lead me into trials. Don't let me go into trials and testings that eventually let me fall into Satan's hands by my own foolishness. Deliver me from the evil one. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but what's better than forgiveness? Hang on. Forgiveness from sin is one of the most beautiful things in all the world. So is there something better than forgiveness? I believe there is. What's better than being forgiven of sin? You ready? Ready? never sinning. Isn't that better? Like if Adam and Eve had never sinned, that's better than being forgiven because then nothing would have been destroyed. See, this last part of the prayer is deliver me from the evil one so that I don't even fall into sin. I'm so susceptible to his snares and his schemes and his plans and the spiritual world that the biggest thing happening around me is the thing that I don't see. I get lost in a material world, and I think the biggest prayer is, oh, God, provide for me in a material world financially and help me navigate the anxiety and the worry and the pressure. But that's not the big deal. The big deal is relationship because that's where I have all the rifts, and that's where everything breaks down. But if I get the forgiveness of God and, and I get cleansed by him, relationally with him, and then get restored with others, I've gotten through some big stuff, but that's still not the biggest. The biggest is the spirit. Spiritual warfare that I'm in. That's the real world and that's what undoes everything and that's the ultimate prayer that I need. Protect me, God. I need your protection. Imagine if you could see the scheme of Satan before you fall in it. In business, in finance, in family, in relationships, in moral tests, in trials, in temptations. Oh, if I could see it before I fall into the trap and not be deceived by him. You would pray for that. No wonder daily you would pray, God, protect me spiritually and help me see what I cannot see. If I don't see the trap in front of me, I'm gonna fall into it. How much of our lives are a wreck because we fell into traps we didn't see? By the way, if you've never seen this in scripture, follow this. Peter, one of the 12 disciples, a young man, called by Jesus while he's fishing for fish and says, follow me and become a fisher of men. He joins Jesus. Three years later, Jesus is now communicating that he's gonna give his life voluntarily, die on the cross, rise from the dead, and be the Messiah to solve the debt of sin for all mankind. And he said, and you disciples, one of you will betray me, but all of you will deny me. And Peter says, not me, not me. I will not deny you. And Jesus says, yes, you will. Yes, you will. You're going to fall into Satan's trap because you're not going to see it, and you will deny me. Now, if you've never seen this, let me read it for you. Luke 22:31. 31. Then Jesus says, Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. I have what, everybody? Prayed for you. One more time. I have what? Pray. But I have prayed for you, Simon Peter, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Stay with me. Huh. Jesus knew Peter was about to face his greatest trial and test in his life. And what did Jesus do for him? He prayed. That was it? I mean, you don't always say, I'll, I'll pray for you. I mean, like, that's lame. I <laughs> want you really do something. I want you really help me. I want you to do something, like, Practical. Listen, this has to arrest your attention. Jesus, God in human flesh, concluded the most practical and powerful thing he could do for Peter was pray for him. Maybe that's not so lame. Maybe if we knew what prayer released in heaven to release on earth, we might pray more, and that wouldn't be seen as a lame thing. Oh, I'm gonna pray for, maybe we would engage prayer, maybe we would pour prayer out to God. And God would pour into us and we would see different things because we knew prayer was the thing. That's what Jesus picked. And by the way, Jesus said, I know you're going to deny me. Jesus didn't pray that he wouldn't deny him. Jesus prayed that when he failed, he wouldn't ultimately fall. That the failure wouldn't be final. That after you fail, may you turn back and bring your brothers with you and be restored to what you were created to be and do. Don't let your failure and stumble, which will happen, be final. I've prayed that Satan won't get the victory out of this in your life. See, Peter was called to live sent. Live what? Sent. We've talked about that. Our 30th anniversary to live sent. means God called us to something bigger. We're in the kingdom of God. We're We're not participants. We're not sitting back as fans of the kingdom of God. We're players in the kingdom of God. We're being trained and coached right now in this conversation. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're on map, on mission, everywhere God puts you. People near you and far from God are part of your mission. God's going to impact the world around you through you. You are the one he's going to use. You are his plan A. Not sit back consumers, but engaged carriers of the kingdom of God. But what happens is what happened to Peter. When we stumble, when we fall, when we have moments of failing, what did Peter do? Well, Peter went right back to fishing for men. Fishing for fish. He's like, you know what? That's what I used to do. I'm going to do it. In other words, he went from something great. He was called to to being small again. He lived small. He lived what? Small. He lived for self again. Hear me. One of the great conversations that should be happening among us is the awareness. And maybe this is why we're having a conversation for you today. That you know you've been called to live sin. But you know what's wrong with your life. You know best where you tend to stumble and sin and fall into Satan's traps. And he'll use that to keep you from being a player in the kingdom. And God came alongside Peter and said, hey, come here, get out of the boat. And he said, go feed my sheep. In other words, go live sin. I'm going to forgive you, put this behind you. Now go be a player in my kingdom. No wonder we would pray, Lord, protect me from the evil one. Because he has traps to undo my marriage, my family, my career, my relationship with my kids, my parents, my relationship with one another in the body of Christ. Churches face traps of the evil one. So learn how to pray daily. Pour out your prayers to God and He'll pour into you for provision, for forgiveness, for protection. For His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And that, was most likely not in the original manuscript, but it is consistent with scripture. Look at First Chronicles. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. See, that's who he is. And because he is able, because he is willing, we pray. And prayer looks more like this imagery It's more of us pouring out prayers to God. And as we pour out prayers to God, God pours in to us. And there is a process of pouring in that leads to empty and empty that needs filling, which is why prayer is daily. Now, you may have questions like, oh, I need to get more practical in prayer. Then send your questions in. Look at the bottom of your teaching notes, and you can see where to send them in. Next Sunday, we're doing town hall Q&A on prayer and get practical. I think it might be the most helpful thing we've ever done on prayer. So you can be a part of it by sending them in, and we'll do it next weekend. You might need prayer over one of those things, just as Jesus prayed over Peter. Having somebody pray over you, either in an area of provision or area of forgiveness or forgiving someone. Or maybe protection spiritually is the big deal for you. But first, we're gonna read the Lord's Prayer together. So if you would put your eyes on the screen and join me one final time in reading the Lord's Prayer. Let's join together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. So Father, the way you love us is amazing because you made it possible through Jesus for us to call you Father. Now give us the strength to walk in your will, your way. And as we pray, and many of us right now perhaps starting to pray, and I would encourage you as I pray to take a moment with God, offering your prayers. Some of us are saying, God, you know, I've drifted from prayer. I I don't know why, I just have. Maybe you're just start saying to God, God, I'm going to talk to you right now. I'm going to read Matthew 6 tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-engage you on a daily basis. I'm just going to be in conversational prayer. I'm going to make this normal. God, you, you invite me to this. Would you pour into me? I often feel spiritually empty. And I'm going to pour out prayers to you. Would you pour into me? And some of us, God, have the weight of providing. There are matters in finances and material world issues and stresses and anxiety and business and, and work-related and, and things with respect to house or home and family. And God, it's, it's just weighty on us. Maybe that's the prayers we're starting to offer to you, and maybe some of us need that prayer today from others. Maybe God, we're not doing doing well forgiving others. Maybe right now, your Holy Spirit is making us aware that there is somebody we need to forgive, and if we can't get beyond that bitterness, we're never going to break through out of emptiness. We carry it pretty heavy. Maybe we'll need somebody to pray over us at the close of this service, and it'll be powerful. Some of us, God, have just become aware freshly today that we really are in a spiritual war, and we forget. We need your protection from the evil one. He has so many schemes, we're so easily deceived. Oh, God. God, would you protect us? There's so much that you long to do for your church, for your people, for us? Would you help us engage you in prayer, the very thing that we pour out to you so that you can pour out to us? Whatever is our individual next level of prayer, take us to it. And we trust you for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.